Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to another episode of Editor's Notes. Today we have a special program with a special guest about the persecution of our Christian brethren in Muslim-majority states. Uh, to do so with me is Michael Karam, who has been extensively active in the area of spreading truth uh, to the nations. And uh, thank you so much for being here. How about you open with prayer also to um, get us going and, and invite the Lord to join us for this program? My pleasure. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be with those viewing from around, different from different nations, as we, um, Lord, bring before you, bring before them the plight of uh, Christians in the Middle East, especially in Muslim-majority nations. Lord, we know that this is a very sensitive time for them, Lord, that we know that because of wars and other things that have been going on, they're under extreme pressure uh, as well from totalitarian regimes. And so, Lord, we want to ask you to lead and guide our conversation today. Holy Spirit, as you are interceding on behalf of the saints as well, Lord, we want to ask that you would give us Lord, those keys to intercession that will unlock the doors for people around the Middle East, uh, Lord, that they can experience freedom to express their faith, but Lord, they'll also be supernaturally protected by you. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, well, Mike, this uh, topic is very close to all of our hearts uh, mm-hmm. living here in the Middle East, but of course, around the world, mm-hmm. our brethren in, in the West, East, and, and anywhere else, right. uh, knowing the history of the church uh, and uh, the body of Christ, uh, especially here in the Middle East, mm-hmm. where um, Ramallah, for instance, the, the main city of, of uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority, where it's headquartered, uh, used to be a Christian city. Mm-hmm. It used to be uh, right. uh, more than 90 percent. Wow less than 50 years ago, and today it's uh, barely bordering 20% from what I hear. Um, Unfortunately, this is not a mythology uh, that is used for, you know, out of uh, uh, reasons that are just ongoing, but it it is something that authorities are actively pursuing, Mm -hmm. shifting of demographic Mm -hmm. uh, uh, territories. It also happens, by the way, between Sunni and Shiite Muslims when Sunni uh, uh, communities want to conquer Shiite uh, areas. Mm -hmm. They make sure that they drive out the Shiite communities to settle them with uh, Sunni Muslim communities, and then it grows this way. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Christianity doesn't really have uh, the the physical backing, uh, mm-hmm. other than a number of countries going to the southern Caucasus, of course, in Armenia, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, going uh, uh, most westward would uh, only start, of course, in uh, uh, the the countries of Greece and such uh, mm-hmm. on the border with uh, Balkans, yeah. with Turkey. But everything else is predominantly Muslim. Right? How are Christians, and and we're not talking about new believers who Mm -hmm. who just converted into Christianity, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but Christian minorities living uh, in the Middle East. Right. So, I mean, obviously, with uh, a lot of the democratic, uh, the demographic changes that are going on and the Syrian regional war that's happened, um, some of the things that have gone on in Egypt in the last, uh, since the beginning, since the Arab Spring in 2010. 
Christians have been under pressure. There's no question about it. They're, they're, they're even attempting to leave the region. They're, these are places they've lived for millennial, you know, thousands of, you know, over a thousand years. And yet, uh, because of the rise of extremist expressions of Islam, they've been, you know, they felt the pressure. So there's been a lot of exodus out of these countries. Um, at the same time, you're right. You know, they don't have the geopolitical backing that other uh, majority or bigger groups have. Um, and so, you know, the, basically Christianity in the Middle East, as we've known it through history, we've, we've seen some, you know, times and periods where it's been under pressure. It's in, even under more pressure right now. I think one of the most interesting things is that also the, the various governments or regimes in the region, mm-hmm. yeah. they also exploit uh, the Christian minorities. For instance, in Syria, exactly. the, the Assad regime mm-hmm. uh, has been protecting the Christian minority because it's Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. and it's backed by Moscow. Right. So it has the direct link, right. of course, to, to seek out mm-hmm. Moscow's favor. Mm-hmm. It makes sure that the Orthodox Christian majority in, in that country, at least, uh, uh, which is a, a big minority next to Assad's Alawite minority. Right, exactly. So it, they, it is playing a big card in, in pol- politics and geopolitics also, and it happens also elsewhere. Right. It happens in Lebanon as well at times uh, with the, the, the population there. Um, it's important for your, your, you know, your, your, re- your listeners and, your, uh, and the people watching to understand that these, you know, these communities are connected, like you're saying, with the whole issue of, of, the, of Russia and everything like that, and now how that plays into it. And a lot of times, even in Iraq, they were forced into the government. They didn't even really necessarily want to be involved in the political situation, but because of minority governments needing other minorities to rule over majorities, they were forced into the political realm, and you know they're paying a price for it right now as mm-hmm. well. Uh, indeed, uh, Lebanon is a, a very good point. Of course, uh, one of the reasons that people don't understand why is France suddenly so involved? Yep. Maronite Christians, their yep. father and mother is France. Right. That's how they see it. Mm-hmm. The the Orthodox Church in Lebanon mm-hmm. looks towards, of course, France. France, Greece also is very strong there. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Israel also, there there is a lot of connection between the communities mm-hmm. Um and it seems like this is also exploited not only for good reasons in, in right. the idea of the governments at least, but also for selfish reasons. But I'd like to go back to demographics, uh, the, the shift of demographics, which is very much going on in, in Lebanon, in Beirut, where yes. the, the explosion uh, occurred uh, mm-hmm. uh, not so long ago, where uh, the, the explosion actually in, in the port of Beirut occurred in the Christian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I've received reports from the ground and also specific intelligence officials who uh, communicated with me about this. They said, look, it's it's very much real. Hezbollah is coming and offering a lot of money mm-hmm. to people who just lost everything they've got. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to say? No. Right. I mean, where else is their salvation coming? So mm-hmm. suddenly that position of... Uh, okay, are we choosing God mm-hmm. or are we jo- choosing Mammon? Yeah. And if so, uh, we still need to feed our children. Yeah, you know, there's there are multiple dynamics going on in the way that, you know, nations govern and, you know, population switch, grow and everything like that. And as well as what you're saying, there's also the issue of the status quo where they want to keep people 
in their particular neighborhoods, of course. Yeah. in control. You you grow up in this neighborhood. You have to stay in this neighborhood. And if you don't submit to us and you try to get out of this box that we put you in, we're going to kill you, basically. Mm. And the whole issue of how governments govern on the status quo and all that, that's also under threat a little bit because of the changing demographics. So, you know, in general, rulers like to keep control. They don't want to, you know, mm. they don't want things to get messed up. And they like to, sometimes they even like to play populations off one another to their advantage. So, these issues very much affect Christians. And, you know, like you said, do we choose the physical protection of a group that we don't like against mm. another group, or do we trust God? And now these have been issues that Christians in the Middle East and in minority nations throughout history have dealt with. Right. What, how do we live our lives given the realities that we have on earth, you know, Caesar, and how do we as well maintain our loyalty to this kingdom that's not of this world? Mm. So. There's this tension that they have to, you know, have to realize, and it's not an easy, they're not easy questions for Christians to answer. One of the things that I'll, I'll take this to a personal level. Right. Uh, my family helped uh, a Palestinian uh, village with mm-hmm. schools and, and helping the poor in that uh, mm-hmm. uh, village called Bijala. For mm-hmm. many years, they've been very active there back in the 80s right. and uh, onward. And uh, during the second intifada, uh, at the beginning of the Second Intifada, the early 2000s, uh, there were exchanges of fire between mm. Bejala, right. a Christian village, mm. and Gilo, Gilo yes. Aleph, which is mm. the first neighborhood of Jerusalem. We were uh, living in so Jerusalem at the time. I remember this. Indeed. Yeah. So I remember as a, a, a young, relatively young person looking from afar, mm-hmm. knowing that one uncle and one cousin are actually in military service in Gilo. Uh, one was a sniper, the other one was a, a commander of a, a certain unit. And uh, I saw the exchanges of fire from afar, from my own house, where we lived in the mountains of Judah at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was very confused. Mm-hmm. So I went to my father and I said, Dad, isn't this place a Christian village? Mm-hmm. So he explained to me something very simple. Uh, at, at the time, the, the, there were different uh, Fatah or Islamist uh, organizations, militants, going into the Christian homes, firing towards the houses. <laughs> then they were fleeing the houses. Right. Israel would retaliate towards the source of fire. Right. The house would collapse. Yeah. And then later they would come and say, your house is destroyed. You don't have nothing. Mm-hmm. So how about you sell me your house? Uh, and one after another, this is the way the demographics changed in Bejala, right. which is an extension basically of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So uh, from 100% Christians, exactly. today it went down. Uh, I don't know exactly the figures. I don't want to uh, misspeak, but it's it's not far from 10 to 20% either. Right. I would say that's right. So when you look at those uh, things, this also, mm-hmm. also is happening in, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Of course, now the Christians fled from Mosul, for instance, where the Islamic right. State was very strong. Mm-hmm. And there are currently Muslim organizations trying to call Christians to come back mm-hmm. uh, because they, they feel like, okay, if we don't have Christians here, mm-hmm. the dynamic vis-a-vis the West might, might shift also. Yeah, You've been plenty of times to Iraq. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about... The, the situation of Christians living there today? Well, right now, obviously, be, you know, they were caught between many different groups, whether it was a Sunni, Shiite, whether it was the Kurds. Uh, the Christians in the Nineveh Plain, you know, similar to the Yazidi minority, were 
you know, were there for thousands of years. Some of their monasteries, their churches, their towns, they go back, you know, uh, you know, even before, you know, the obviously before the Muslims came and everything like that, there were some of the first churches that, that were established anywhere in the world. And uh, with Islamic State coming in there, they had a, you know, design to wipe out a lot of the, you know, the whole situation. So when a population is traumatized in that way, yeah, there's all kinds of projects right now. We're even working with groups to re- have Christians go back into those areas. But when you've experienced that kind of trauma, mm. you're not going to all of a sudden, you got to have real strong security guarantees before you walk in. And that area is still a little bit under, it's still a very sensitive area, you know, that area around Mosul, because it's not part of the Kurdish regional government. It's part of Iraq. Iraq, we know, is not in a stable place really right now. And so we have the Hashto Shabi, the Iranian influences there as well. They're trying to encourage Yazidis to go back and populate the towns because, in a way, a population in an area is it's the, its cultural diversity really brings its richness. Mm. And uh, the Christians were a very important part of that area. That goes back to the prophet Jonah and Nineveh. It goes back to the Assyrian church, that very very you know well known you know Aramaic speaking uh, body that that had an influence all over Central Asia, even up into China. Mm. So it's got a rich history. Of not of only evangelism, of evangelism, of missionary Absolutely. activity. I mean, no. it's uh, it's it's something that you know is kind of a lost history for most of Christians in the West. They don't even know, but because uh, you know our Bible fo- follows Acts and the church expansion westward. But the Assyrian Church is an amazing history of the church going to the east. Yeah. It goes from Antioch. It goes into what is today Iraq, southeastern Turkey, where huge centers. Armenia, Central Asia. I mean, they went all the way to China with the gospel. I mean, it was mm. really, really. It's an amazing story. To what degree are Christians today persecuted in Iraq, in, in mm. countries that are, remain unstable to a certain degree, as you, uh, you noted before, right. but are uh, also trying to emerge out of that chaos that, that uh, came after the Islamic mm-hmm. State? Well, there's two different dynamics going on really right now. One of it is, you know, the question that most Christians have, do we stay you know, can we trust the governments that are, you know, forming now, the, that have come up after Islamic State? And then there's the whole dynamic of the disillusionment, really because of that extreme expression of Islam. Now we have Muslims considering faith changes and allegiances to what they've normally done, and now they're considering, hey, should I, you know, should I consider Yeshua and the New Covenant faith? So we have two different dynamics that are going on right now. One is Christians trying to decide, is my future here? And then as well, Muslim populations that are questioning things because of the extreme expressions of radical mm-hmm. Islam. So there's two different things going on here. And, and you know, there they could be a lot of this have to do with, you know, how other governments engage in, in these areas. You know, the whole pullout of the United States out of northeastern Syria created a real sensitive place for Assyrian Christians and some new Kurdish Christians that were going there. It left them, after standing on the side of the Allies, defeating Islamic State, they were hung out really to dry Absolutely. Uh, by the U.S. administration for various reasons. We don't really know all those things. But, you know, in, in any case, that's created a, you know, those create huge questions about the future of my faith mm. and my family. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, the changing demographics and the and the battle for these areas right now, still around this Syrian civil regional war, 
are still very real for Christians, both new Christians and for established churches. This is one point that many people don't uh, know. The moment the West comes, uh, in many t- uh, cases, new believers then come out and they feel very protected, as you mentioned. And right. uh, the moment uh, Western governments only leave mm-hmm. for geopolitical reasons, right. uh, they're really left to dry. And, and mm-hmm. in many cases, uh, there have been executions of uh, uh, new believers uh, right. all over the region. Right. Uh, and it's it's terrible. Uh, something that I, I've been uh, informed uh, on several occasions because uh, people know here that I am a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, two people uh, from very senior in the intelligence community uh, who deal with Iran mm-hmm. specifically told me that the RGC labels mm-hmm. uh, new believers in Jesus as a plague mm. and as one of the most difficult challenges to deal with today in Iran. Mm. Thousands are coming to faith in Iran. I mean, we're talking maybe even millions, but yeah, there is a huge movement in Iran. I do not have the statistics, so I can't uh, uh, elaborate on that. You hear statistics all over the place. But you know, when secular intelligence officials come and tell you that, uh, you know that uh, this is going on there. And um, we've received several emails, uh, including of... uh, uh, different people who actually immigrated mm-hmm. from uh, Iran to the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, they served either in the IRGC or, or other yeah. organizations. And in order to infiltrate into Western countries, they would memorize the Bible, mm-hmm. read the New Testament, and say, we fled because we were persecuted Christians. Mm-hmm. And many of them, I don't know if all of them, of course, there are plenty of people who go to deceive and such, but many of them suddenly receive a, ver- a revelation while reading the Bible right. and come to faith. And right. they say, I came with the wrong motives, <laughs> but Jesus turned me. Uh, and, and this is yeah. phenomenal, but yeah. uh, this yeah. nevertheless is difficult. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to, to tell our viewers that many believers are persecuted Mm -hmm. who are going to preach the gospel, even killed. Mm -hmm. Um, If I may say, you've been banned from several countries. Yes, I have. uh, Because of your uh, faith-driven motives, and uh, they are not shy to say why. Mm -hmm. And uh, also when my father passed away, um, uh, a week before my father passed away, he, he was buried in a cemetery here downtown Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, reserved for believers uh, here in the land uh, uh, from the Christian, uh, uh, American Christian uh, Evangelical Church. And uh, a week before that, Tony, uh, I won't know, uh, say his, his full name, but, mm-hmm. but Tony um, was killed in Iraq mm-hmm. and brought to Israel and buried. Mm-hmm. He was uh, deliberately run over in a Kurdish town. Mm-hmm. Uh, for preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and making a difference for Christ, mm-hmm. uh, leaving behind a wife and several children. Right. Um, uh, the church, of course, is taking care of her mm-hmm. and uh, here in, in Jerusalem. And uh, at least, you know, uh, we need to keep them in prayer, our, our brethren. Right. To what degree is this a recurrence? How many evangelists are coming and and going again and again and again uh, that you see and and you've known hundreds. I mean, this is obviously a really big subject in in Muslim-majority countries just because of some of the 
the declarations that are made and in, in, in the Quran regarding unbelievers and, and infidels and things because there's, it's a, you know, it's a big subject. On one side, there were to be respected as the people of the book, but then later on, the, the, the narrative and the tone changes regarding, uh, regarding those who uh, are not following the faith of, uh, of Islam. And so, yeah, in a, in a way, it has to go back to the whole, I think it, it, a lot of it goes back to how governments relate, you know, and sometimes they even have freedom of religion, but actually how that's practiced is, you know, is quite arbitrary. Mm. So, yeah, I was around and even was uh, part of the trial when the, um, the three missionaries, are not actually, they weren't missionaries, there was one German and two Turkish nationals were martyred in Malatya, which was an ancient mm. Assyrian town in 2007. I, I attended the trial once as well. Uh, it, it's, it went on for years and years and years, even though it was very clear what had happened. And so, you know, there's a, obviously in these countries, leaders have extreme amount of responsibility because on one side, a leader can, can uh, view a population as a threat, like you were saying in mm. Iran. They're viewed as a threat. Right. They're viewed as a, a threat to national order and things. And, and part of the case against us and others like me that were working in different um, Muslim-majority uh, countries was we're a threat to national security. Now you think about that, it's a bit almost comic because some of these countries are 99% Muslim. Our uh, population is maybe 1%, less than 1%, and yet we're perceived as a threat. And a lot of that has to do with this whole idea of the status quo, if you upset the status quo idea. At the same time, what I'm seeing is that most people that live in these countries long for relationship with people from different backgrounds. They actually oftentimes have a view of God that's much greater and better than what their maybe their book even shows them to see. Sure. And so they're wanting relationship, and but it's more the fear factor mm. in the in some of the, uh, the administrations. I'll tell you one story that that came out to me, kind of interesting. You know, the Kurdish population, which was a huge population all over in about four different countries in the Middle East, about thirty to thirty-five million, and without their own nation state. Uh, majority Muslim, but not Arab, uh, and actually not Semitic, not uh, not Turkish. They're actually Indo-European people. Most of the rulers in these countries fear the Kurds mm. because of the fact that what would be worse than unifying? What would be worse than unifying? Unifying around another religion. And well, so, <laughs> I, I can add to you for one reason: yeah. every um, Muslim leader I've spoken to. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I, I've had the opportunity to speak to to some in the region. Mm -hmm. uh, they all said one thing: Salahuddin mm. united the Muslim armies and conquered the world. Right, it's very interesting. This is how they look at it. Right, they remember the history. Right, because Salahuddin was a Kurd. Exactly, and he is the only one who managed to unite all. Right. The sects right. to reconquer Jerusalem and drive the Crusaders out. Exactly, that's true. So, right, if he was able to do that as a Kurd, what will happen? If the Kurds unify. If they unify again. And they also sit yeah. on a lot of the natural resources around the region, right. and yeah. they would upset the kind of the, the whole situation right now. So there's a huge fear about that, and there's a lot of people that think the Kurds are a people that are really right for, for really ready for a people movement to Christianity. They have some unusual roots. So, you know, these issues about everybody staying in their own box and getting mm. out of their box and not, you know, and, and, and just forcing people to survive, you know, is a very big issue around the Middle East, even for Christians, because, you know, if a Christian starts to share his faith, mm. okay, he's open about his faith, he's going to different background people, he's upsetting that, you know, ability for nations to control mm. and keep people in their boxes. Mm. Well, uh, you know, 
Let, let's talk practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for instance, I know one person who came to faith, and uh, he he was a Muslim in the Palestinian territories, and has eleven children, mm-hmm. and was put into prison under false pretexts because he walked around, and the moment he he got to know Jesus, he wanted everybody to know about Jesus, <laughs> and didn't know that would get him in a lot of trouble. Right. But um, what can we? Right. In the West, in the East, in in the South, uh, mm-hmm. all over the world, mm-hmm. as brethren, right. pray for, stand with uh, our Christian brethren, mm-hmm. and even proactively in front of our governments, de- demand accountability for for the minorities. Right here in Israel, you know, it's an interesting thing. We have this um, kind of uh, I don't know if I translate it correctly, but this this kind of uh, mutual responsibility. Whenever mm. there's Jews in trouble anywhere in the world, what happens? Helicopters go, medical teams go. There's this really strong sense of, and I think it goes back to almost World War II and the persecution of Jews in Europe. I don't think the Christians actually hold that same kind of responsibility. A little bit is because of our division oftentimes. And this this is a real place of pain a lot of times for Christians in the Middle East that they don't feel the responsibility and the advocacy and the you know, the the support, that mutual responsibility that we see that Jews have. And often when I talk to Jews... Uh, Jewish people here in Israel, they'll say, why don't Christians feel that same sense of mutual responsibility? Mm. And so, you know, if we look at the the biblical narrative, a lot of the new covenant is sort of framed around persecution. I mean, it's Mm. a big, we're actually promised, uh, you know, in Acts, it says, you know, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to go through many trials. So it's it's part of our faith in one side, and it's a part of the way oftentimes where the, 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 the gospel message can, can spread. Mm. At the same time, we need to actually be standing on behalf of them. We can be praying. We can be contacting our politicians. You know, we can, um, you know, there's other, they're sending aid. There's going even to visit. We're even talk, we're talking about now arranging tours into the unholy lands, as it were, or the other holy lands. Why? To get people to see the history you know, that these Christians have had in Egypt, in here in Israel, in Jordan, in uh, in Iraq, in Iran, in Turkey. I mean, rich, rich history. So just mm. going to visit them shows them, hey, you have something of value. Mm. So prayer, advocacy, traveling to the region, all these things, they make such a difference to Middle Eastern Christians. Many people also ask us about, uh, can we receive any names? Well, mm. no. Let me let me start mm-hmm. with that. If somebody just came to faith, uh, in in most of those countries, it's penal, uh, the penalty is death. Right. For so uh, we're not going to unveil any names to you. Uh, however, we we are going to encourage you pray for specific countries, and then within those countries, mm-hmm. pray for uh, the the persecuted believers, specifically, but uh, Christians at large right. who, are, who are persecuted in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're nearing the end of the program, so right. I'd like to uh, end by prayer, mm-hmm. but also uh, if people want to contact and and get more involved and more active, mm-hmm. how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, there's some excellent excellent groups that are um, serving in the region. Worldwatchmonitor.org does a lot of good uh, press. Uh, the Barnabas Fund uh, does a lot out of England. Um, I mean, there are some actually some some groups in, in Scandinavia as well that are involved. Yeah, I mean, there's there's resources out there to stay in touch, stay involved. Mm-hmm. I think the Middle East Forum does a good job a lot of times of, uh, of, of, uh, of you know, bringing to light the plight of Middle Eastern Christians. Let, let's do it this way. If, if anybody of you wants to get in touch with any of those organizations, we'll try and formulate some, uh, some paper to be able to provide you with that. That'd be a good idea. Um, with uh, uh, oversight, because there are also a lot of organizations that just 
ask for your money and do nothing. Okay, right. and and right. more of those than those who are actually doing something on the right. ground. So we can put a list together for you Absolutely. guys to give to your readers and uh, listeners to be able to, uh, you know, to pray and 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 support those in those Absolutely. countries. Yeah. How about you close with prayer and then? We'll yeah, go. I'd love to. You know, and I was just reading from Acts twelve. It says uh, when Peter was put in prison the second time, it says the church prayed fervently. That's the words, passionately. And this prayer meeting went on from before Pesach till after Pesach, from before Passover to after until he was finally released by the angel. And, you know, at least people need not just our help physically, they need spiritual help. Absolutely. So this, the, one of the main, you know, sort of examples of our faith, you know, the early church was praying passionately for Peter's release when he was in prison in Acts 12 and 5, it says. So, yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to bring to uh, light and even to the attention of the listeners of TV7 uh, around the world and around in Scandinavia. Lord, we ask right now for those that, um, Lord, now have some knowledge and understanding that, that, Lord, your word says we're responsible for what we know. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, those that are hearing would take responsibility to even learn more, to search out the the, the situation for the Christian populations in the Middle East that are under pressure, under persecution in Iran, in Iraq, in Turkey, uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, even Israel and uh, in Egypt, all these places. And Lord, they'll take a stand in prayer. They'll gather in together in groups and pray, Lord. Really thank you, Lord, that your heart is that we would be connected and we would be supporting one another even across borders uh, to the glory of the kingdom of God and mm. to the expansion of that kingdom as well. And so, Lord, we... Pray as well that, Lord, they'll, they'll feel support and uh, these ones that won't be tempted to flee, but they'll stand uh, in the places that really need a gospel witness the most here in the Middle East. And we pray that in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, Lord. And also beyond the Middle East, Lord, in China mm -hmm. and, and everywhere where right. our brethren are persecuted, Lord, mm -hmm. stand with them and be with them that they may be strong in you. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so very much, Michael, for you, coming here today. And I'd like to thank uh, all of you who stayed with us for the entire program. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.